Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep the uh, story from, or a poem from the Flowers of Evil um, by Charles Baudelaire. Un Charon. It's a it's a poem, but in our translation, it's a prose poem. And I think we should start off by having me read the, the translation, um, which is by Clark Ashton Smith. Here here it goes. Remember, my soul, the thing we saw on that beautiful morning of sweet summer, beside the path, an infamous carrion on a couch sewn with pebbles its legs in the air like a lascivious woman, burning and sweating her poisons, laid open in a cynical and nonchalant manner, its belly filled with exaltations. Oh, sorry, exhalations. <laughs> the sun shone down upon this putrefaction as if to cook it to, tur- to a turn and render back a hundredfold to great nature all that she had joined together. And the sky saw the superb carcass unfold like a flower. The fetor was so powerful that you believed you would swoon on the grass. The flies hummed on the putrid belly, where issued black battalions of larvae that flowed along these living tatters like a thick liquid. All these descended and mounted like a wave, or darted forth in sparklings. One would have said that the body lived and multiplied, swollen by a vague breath, and this world gave forth a strange music, as of the wind and running water, or grains that a winnower agitates and turns with his fan in rhythmic movements. The forms withdrew and faded, and were no more than a dream, an outline that is slow to arrive, on the forgetful canvas, and is finished by the artist from memory alone. Behind the rocks a restless bitch regarded us with an angry eye, watching for a moment to retrieve from the skeleton a morsel she had let fall. And you still will be like this, Ordur, this horrible infection, star of my eyes and son of my being, you my angel and my passion. Yes, such you will be. O Queen of Graces, after the final sacraments, when you have gone beneath the grass and the rich flowers to mold among the bones of the dead? Then, O my beauty, say to the worms who will devour you with kisses that I have kept in memory the form and divine essence of my decomposed loves. Uh, uh, This is probably the first time I've read a poem uh, like this and not, you know, said, okay, brace yourselves. <laughs> I should, probably should have said that before. This is horrific. Oh, my God. What a horrible poem. I also think it's quite beautiful, but it's incredibly horrible. Don't you think? Um, hmm. Yes and no. <laughs> uh I, I I read it in French as well as English, and uh, the language is is so beautiful that um, the description is in some sense horrific, but the uh, 
I, I don't find the work horrific. Is that make any sense? Oh no, the um, work's not her. It's it's a it's a it's there's something very beautiful about it, but it also is. I mean, the plot of it is incredibly horrible too. It's how do you how do you read me, as to what's actually happening in this scene? I. It begins, remember, my soul, the thing we saw on that beautiful morning of sweet summer. And the thing they see is, is a carcass. Um, in Charogne is, uh, Charogne by itself means carrion. In Charogne would be a carcass because in English we don't say a carrion. Um, so it's a carcass. They see a carcass and it's, it's swollen in the heat and it's, there's this incredible sexual description of it. It's sense, the sensations that are received by the speaker are vivid. And, and we're told it's a beautiful morning and it's sweet summer. So all of the words here are to make us feel something at the height of uh, romantic sensibility. Uh, sensation is is delicate and poignant and vivid, so it's beautiful. But the thing that is creating that, that to which it, the the external object is is something which is decaying, but and eventually it decomposes. And we go through this description with the speaker speaking to somebody, but the somebody it says is my soul, mm. and then the question becomes. Uh, what's really going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what you've asked me. How do I read this? And hey, here's how I read it. Um, it says this. It, it switches back. It says you. It says my soul in the first line, and then it switches at the end. It says, and still you will be like this ordure, this filth, this horrible infection, star of my eyes, and son of my being. You my angel and my passion and it's a who is being addressed here mm-hmm. and in fact it's his own soul okay he's talking to his soul as if his soul were an outside thing the way the body they saw on the path was an outside thing and suddenly one remembers that that you go down the path of life with your soul yes such you will be O queen of graces that is you, my soul, the queen of graces will be terrible after the final sacraments. OK, mm-hmm. the last, you know, extreme unction. Right. You're going to be dead. Right. When you have gone beneath the grass, I'm reading Ashton Smith's translation, which I wouldn't quite agree with. Mm-hmm. And the rich flowers to molder, he says, mold among the bones of the dead. So after after the final sacraments, you Okay, so you're my you, my soul, are actually a body, mm-hmm. and then, oh my beauty, say to the worms who will devour you with kisses, that I have kept in memory the form and the divine essence of my decomposed loves, loves, mm-hmm. plural. So that if 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 the speaker is referring to 
say, let's assume for the sake of discussion that it's a woman, that the speaker is a man. And I think one gets that sense throughout all of Les Flux de Mal, uh, Baudelaire's collection. Um, th- and then this is a woman. And, you know, so he's saying, uh, what, my other loves, the love I had for Marie and for Hélène and for uh, Jeanette? No, there are no other women being addressed. And he addresses the soul, which is a female, uh, feminine noun in French anyway, not that that's dispositive. I have kept my, he's addressed only only his soul. And he says, my decomposed loves, plural. Mm -hmm. So here's what I come away with. We have We've got Catholicism behind this. Those final sacraments are, you know, extreme unction. It's it's a Catholic country and a Catholic speaker. Um, and so we've got the body, the mind and the, the body, the spirit and the soul. That's how Thomas Aquinas viewed the triune human being. It created in the image of the triune God. And this guy is speaking as if the soul could be eaten by worms. So I'm thinking that what Baudelaire has given us is a different notion of the triune human being, or at least the poet as a human being. The poet is the body of the poet. The poet is the 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 the, the poet is the soul of the poet, and the poet is the poetic voice of the poet. So when he says at the end. Uh, after you, my, after this body has been decomposed and eaten by worms, after, and we know the, the, the body, the physical body that Aquinas would have noticed is there, and, and the soul, meaning the soul of the poet, is there as well in the body. I have kept in memory the form and the divine essence of my decomposed loves. That is, my body is dead, my poet is dead. But my poetic spirit goes on because the memory and the form, excuse me, in memory, the form and the essence will be of the decomposed loves will be, in fact, the composed poem Mm. that is composition undoes decomposition. Now, what I'm about say would be easier to understand if one had read all of the, the volume, Le Fleur du Mal. Um, but I think what I'm so I'm, I'm saying something that is a consistent reality in the volume, but I think you can see it reflected here in the volume. There is poem after poem in which the speaker uses extreme romantic sensation in an effort to make a complete perfect union with an object of love for example there is uh, there's one called les cheveux one poem called les cheveux the hair um i mean in english we would call it the hair in, in french it's a plural noun les cheveux and in this poem the speaker moves the the feels the hair of his loved one rubbing his fingers through it to feel its fine texture. He smells it as he as he moves it. He, he runs his hand to feel its silkiness and the, the shape of her head beneath his hand. And as he focuses on the smell and the feel and the sight, 
he feels himself coming closer and closer and closer to her as if there can be a perfect union between them. And as he begins to exult in the the efficacy of giving oneself up to sensation and how that can create artistic perfection, he suddenly realizes he's writing a poem. And of course, he falls away back into himself. And he never is able to make that complete union. That And throughout the, the volume, in poem after poem, the attention to incredible sensation moves toward union, but always that union should produce poetry. And once it is noticed, he falls away and never actually achieves union. So in a sense, what happens is there is a decomposition of the physical and of the poetic, but it is captured in the composition of the poem that tells the story of the decomposition of the body and the effort to move toward the poetic. There's this fantastic tension. And that's, I think, what's going on here as well. The loves are decomposed in the content of the story. You asked, as we began, how do I read the plot? Mm -hmm. The loves are decomposed. But the the words in which they are decomposed compose, in the original, a poem mm -hmm. of 12 <laughs> quatrains um, that actually has enduring form. So his angel, his passion, is poetry. Um, and the poet in him got, dies, but the poem goes on. We have this tripartite notion again with an inherent tension, just as there is for Catholics, an inherent tension between the body and the soul. Yep. Um, I, I think uh, now that you're talking about it this way, there's a, a Shakespearean sonnet that's very similar to this um, in the in the structure, maybe not in the way it's written, but um, it, it basically talks about, you know, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Which poem is that? Is that 115 or it's one of those? I don't sonnets. remember the number, but yes. Um, but it, it has that same lovely and more temperate. Right. And <laughs> and at the end of the poem, we get the sense that um, we it's almost a description of a woman. Right. It's almost a description of a person. And 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 yet it's the absence of the things that she isn't. That is what she is. But the good news is, um, though your features will fade over time, um, this poem will exist forever. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and that Shakespearean Indeed. sort of um, humor is here as well, although it's, it's soured in a certain sense. Um, instead of coming away from the poem, you know, self-satisfied and, uh, you know, patting himself on the back. He's come away from the experience um, traumatized, but maybe uh, more wise. And I, I, think I think there's an important difference, Jesse, and that is that the, the speaker in Shakespeare is talking about the love of an other. Mm -hmm. um, but the speaker in this poem by Baudelaire is actually talking about the love of the self. 
That is, he is he is fragmenting himself from his own body and his own soul so that he can look at them as if they were something else from himself as the poet. So when he says, you know, you, my loves who are decomposing my body and my soul, um, you're going to live forever in my poem. Uh, he's doing, I think you're quite right, what Shakespeare is doing about the uh, immortality of poetry compared to other things. But he is not talking about another. He is talking about himself. And he is adding something blasphemous. That is, if you really believe in Catholicism and you believe in, you know, extreme unction, you should also believe in the immortality of the soul. And this says, no, you, my love, the soul, the queen of graces, you're going to get eaten and decomposed. Mm. It's only the poem that's going to, in fact, be immortal. Mm. So, you know, he's he's there is, in fact, a cultural shift from Shakespeare's use of the uh, uns the surprising turnaround. No, it doesn't matter if you're like a summer's day to Baudelaire's turnaround because he is Baudelaire is elevating poetry over the soul philosophically. And he is doing it just by contemplation of something that he passes down on the path of life. Yeah, there, there is a uh, I'm not sure about the French, but in reading it in English first time, I was entirely arguing with myself as to whether it could be read as the soul being a, another person, not not uh, himself. And I think it can be read that way, and it is profitable in a certain sense because it allows us to get a distance from what he's doing to himself. So when he says, remember my soul, the thing we saw, who is he talking about? The we that makes us think of himself and another beside the path that infamous carrion on a couch with pebbles its legs in the air like a lascivious woman burning and sweating her poisons right and then the second uh, stanza or paragraph in this case ends the fetter was so powerful that you believed you would swoon on the grass um it's almost like he and his girlfriend are walking through the park right and it was a hot day and there they saw a carcass and he says look a carcass and she sees it and its smell is so powerful that she almost falls to the ground and then he describes it right with the the black battalions of larvae flowing out of out of its exploded carcass and with the beautiful horror of larvae that flowed along these living tatters like a thick liquid right it's 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 a horrible image and then we go on and he says you know oh do you remember all that all these details uh the form withdrew and faded though we're no more than a dream it's almost as if we we could forget about that scene but don't rem don't worry i'm gonna remind you by writing this remember that time we were in the park an outline of the, that is slow to arrive on the forgetful canvas and is finished by artists by the artist from memory alone so it's he's talking about the the process of remembering and going going from the image of what you saw in the world to the canvas and making a picture of it 
it's almost like doing a picture of someone from memory or a scene from memory rather than standing there with them uh, for you to as their model right and then he he's of course doing that in this poem and he says oh and yeah there was behind the rocks there was a restless bitch that regarded us with an angry eye this is almost as if his girlfriend as he's recalling do you remember that time we went to the park and saw that horrible carcass and she she turns to him with an eye what are you doing how dare right it's almost like he's calling that up and then and then he the topper is and still you will be like this oh juror which yeah you you said is filth but it's like the worst kind of filth it's shit right this horrible infection Star yeah, it's what you eyes. get when you cut open. It's what you get when you cut open large ba- the large bowel. Right, my the star of my eyes and the sun of my being. You, my angel, my passion. You, my beautiful woman. Right, you, my beauty, my queen of graces. Beautiful movements. After your final sacraments, after you have gone beneath the grass, the rich flowers to mold among the bones. Then, oh my beauty, say to the worms who will devour you with kisses that I have kept in memory the form and divine essence of my decomposed loves. You can read it almost as if he's like, yeah, you're going to die and you're going to be horrible in the ground, but it's okay because I'm going to have other lovers. (laughs) This is almost like a horror of of the worst boyfriend ever, right? You, You happen to see something horrible instead of, you know, put it out of your mind. He reminds you of it. And I, yeah. And and I, I think that that is not what is actually happening. But b- because of the way it's written here in English, it actually allows us to see what he's doing to himself. This is a skull placed upon the mantelpiece, right? Or, a, or on the desktop. A memento mori saying, yeah, you know, you, you have fine form now. Your hair is golden and your, your brow is clear. But... You won't always be such. And the only thing that will really remind you of that is seeing death in its horror. Except, of course, what one is seeing is not death. One is seeing a word picture of something that represents death. Exactly. Right. So that's that. There's that tension. I do see why why you say one could look at it this way. It was. What what moved me away, although I had read Les Fleurs du Mal previously, both in, in French and English, um, was that plural, that very last word, mm-hmm. you know, my decomposed loves. And it is de mes amours décomposés, mes amours with an S in the original. And, and I think you're coming around to that, too, when you say, well, it, it's me, oh, yeah. too. It's oh, yeah. me, too. So, you know, we could think of it as a single other, but but I think the, what he's saying is that, that the poet, the, the, the spirit, whatever, takes the place in a poet of what would be spirit in in Aquinas's view and what would excuse me, what would be soul and poetry takes something that's even greater. That's where you find the immortality. Mm-hmm. I think I think. I don't know why Smith wrote this as a prose poem. Baudelaire did himself write some prose poems, and he called them that. Um, and and this wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are places where the French does things that 
I think get missed here. I'm not just talking about the, the translation of a word, you know, a carrion instead of carcass. Uh, for instance, uh, the second stanza describes the, the, the body, right, that, that they see by the, the side of the road. Um, les jambes en l'air, the legs up in the air. Comme une femme lubrique, like a lubricated or lubricious, you know, lascivious, perhaps, mm-hmm. woman. Brûlant, burning, et souvent, sweating, les poissons, right? So she's burning and sweating these poisons. So the, the lubricants that come out of a woman who is so hypersexual are themselves poisonous. Ouvre d'un façon, opened in a manner nonchalant et cynique. So her legs are up there spread apart in a nonchalant and cynical manner. Now, uh, son ventre, plan d'exhalation, right? Her stomach full of exhalations. Now, remember, this is written in French. This is written, therefore, by someone who knows a Romance language. He can figure out the Latin, whether he studied Latin or not. Cynique comes from the word for dog, right? And this, these legs are spread apart in a fashion of nonchalant et cynique, dog-like. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, that's, that's how the cynics as a philosophical school were named. Mm-hmm. Note, therefore, that later on, much later on in the poem, there is behind the rocks in English a restless bitch. Mm-hmm. But in French, it's quite clear. It's une chienne antiette. It is a, a troubled, an uncertain, a, an, inqu- an unquiet female dog. Now, that female dog connects with the word cynic if you read French. Also, the legs are open in a manner nonchalant. Now, in English, when we see, say the word nonchalant, we just say nonchalant. And we sort of think, oh, I mean, sort of casual, not caring, and so on. But if you know French, then you know that nonchalant, nonchalant, right, means not burning Right. Nonchalant means you don't care about something. You're not all hot and bothered about it because chaloir is to, in fact, uh, is related to to burn something. Right. So uh, um, chaleur is the word for heat in French. Right. So nonchalant is without heat. It's just unbothered. Yeah, exactly. But look at the line above. Brûlant et souvent les poissons, burning and sweating its poisons in a manner that is nonchalant, that is not burning. So throughout this poem, we have a tension between what is and what is not, between what is, look, I mean, this very image of the the corpse with its legs wide open, this lubricated woman, it's dead. She's clearly not, I mean, if you like necrophilia, you can go for it, but it's not a come on on the corpse's part. Right. At all, because the corpse has no will because the corpse is dead. Similarly, um, we see in in the French. um, This is the the third from the end uh, stanza. um, Et pourtant vous serez semblable à cette cette ordure. And yet you will be like this filth, ordure. À cette horrible infection, like this horrible infection, Étoile de mes yeux, soleil de ma nature, star of my eyes, son of my nature. My nature is what I'm made of. Mm. Vous, mon ange, et ma passion, 
you, my angel and my passion. Now, listen to that again. The first line of the stanza goes, et pourtant vous serez semblable à cette ordure. The third line, étoile de mes yeux, soleil de ma nature. So, what is the poem saying to us? That the word ordure, filth, rhymes perfectly with ma nature, my nature, what I am made of. Then he says, you're going to be kissed, you my soul. You're going to be kissed by worms and eaten away. He's talking about the human nature of the poet who would like to see things beautiful, a sweet summer day, a wonderful morning, things rising. But presto, we're reminded of death, carrion, infection, filth, even sex leads to poisons. And the only thing that is really immortal and beautiful is poetry. And the most immortal poetry, or I should say the most beautiful poetry, is that which manages to compose that which is decomposed, <laughs> which is the fate of all of human life. Magnature et ordure, it seems to me. It's a, it's a horrible poem if one focuses on what it says about us living on a daily basis. But it is a spectacular poem if one is convinced that it offers the possibility of immortality through the art that we can make. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> but there's always more to say. <laughs> <laughs>